Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Martin Willis, your host. And our guest is a great guy. I met him down in Washington, D.C. and uh, at the, U- at the uh, UAP hearing down there. And his name is Dan Warren. He has this very engaging show on social media. He doesn't make any long clips. He makes all these really great, very inform- informative short clips. It's j- definitely a niche for that. He's got over 300,000 TikTok of, or about 300,000 TikTok followers. Uh, you may know him as the fifth pillar of emphasis, something he got from uh, Lou Elizondo. Our blog this week by Charles Lear is two 1975 UFO flaps in Florida. Now, these two flaps, they happened the same year as Travis Walton, so they kind of took the back seat. Uh, Travis Walton's incident got all the attention, and these two uh, Florida flaps, it kind of fell through the cracks I like the way that's flaps through the cracks, flaps through the cracks, Jack. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Hey, if you, uh, we have a special uh, guest coming on for a few minutes here. If you watched a Netflix um, series called Encounters with uh, Steven Spielberg, I have uh, some involvement in that. Uh, The the series, uh, when it talks about the 60 students at the Ariel school incident, uh, you'll see this guy uh, named Darren who comes on and he basically talks about how he believes that he started the whole thing. This is the guy right here. He started the whole thing and by uh, saying a lie. And so everyone else, you know, followed his uh, lie, et cetera. Anyway, I am uh, happy to have uh, Randall Nickerson uh, joining us to talk about this. And let's see, Randall. Thank you for uh, joining. And I'm talking, we're talking like in five minutes ago, you said you could do this. <laughs> I Hi, love Mark. the way this works with live. Yeah, I know. I, it's yeah. Thanks. I mean, I would, uh, yeah, very surprising and last minute. Yes. And uh, so there's going to be, you are going to post the video interview that you did with uh, uh, Dallin. I, I don't know exactly how you pronounce his name. But back in 2008, let's talk about that and what uh, what we should expect when we see that. And by the way, anyone watching or listening, once that is posted, I'm going to put that down in the show text or in the show notes. You want to be sure you're going to see that. Uh, if you have not seen the Encounters series, you know, you may not have an interest in it, but uh, but it's I do recommend it overall. It's it's good, except I was kind of shocked by how much airtime was given to this uh, character. So uh, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, how did this, uh, how did, how did you feel? Did you have any idea that this was coming out uh, like it was going oh, to come Yeah, out? I, I knew it. Yeah. It's a long story, but uh, yeah, I did know about it. Um, I felt like I was watching my own movie. Um, and then they got to Dolan and I, had interviewed Dolan. I'd spent a couple of days with him and he doesn't say that he's actually a witness. Um, and we're putting out his footage tonight because he did not see, see anything when he was that with that group of kids that he is now saying are lying, which I can't even believe they would even put that in a movie. Uh, when you have witnesses, when you have witnesses, you're hurting people. You're not, you know, sorry, but they've hurt people and they're actually hurting Dolan. I'm sorry. That's just not appropriate. And yeah. it's not true also. So I'm a little bit frustrated. Uh, I don't like, why would they do that? You know, that's not the story. And, you know, we're talking about the kids in this incident. It wasn't just children. There were people around the area that also saw this. It's not so yeah. it's like, you know, I've seen it for decades. They come after these cases and try to put a hole in any case. They just want to make people, you know, well, didn't somebody say that? You know, that's what they want. They don't want a case to be solid. Yeah, so let me ask you, let me ask you this. This is, a, you know, I've, I've, I'm not talking about anybody specific. I'm, I'm speaking yeah. about a power, you know what I mean? Like, a, yeah. uh, you know, people, I, I guess you can say, who just don't want us to know this stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, it's so there's all these I, I always call this the number one case out there. You've you've heard me say it. And for anyone that uh, 
is not is new to UFOs and you just happen to be catching the show for the first time and you've heard about this for the first time, I, I would strongly suggest you, you know, look into the Ariel uh, school incident in 1994. And uh, on on the phone right now with us, Randall Nickerson has a beautiful film uh, called The Ariel Phenomenon. And uh, it's such a moving picture all the way through and very well documents exactly what happened here. So, you know, devil's advocate, there's been people speculating, which always happens when something like this happens, Randall. And one of them is sour grapes he didn't get in the movie or, you know, someone, you know, and it sounds really crazy to say this, but someone, you know, paid him to do that. Um, and, you know, when I say that, it sounds crazy, but there have been instances in the past when someone is trying to punch a hole through a really good story and that has happened. And I'm asking the speculative question, Randall, what do you think happened? Do you have any idea? Have you heard from him? I haven't heard from him, but I did hear from several of the other kids that they were being offered money to go on the show. So I know money was, and that's why it's not called a documentary because you Uh, cannot pay witnesses in a documentary. There was nobody in my movie that got paid. If you pay somebody, you influence their testimony. Wow. That's true. Yes, that's true. I actually heard this from the kids themselves. So, and I was outraged. I was like, what, why? I'm sorry. That's just, you know, you know I mean, it, it wasn't like a stipend for them being away from home or anything like that. It was actually, oh no, because they wouldn't do yeah. it. They wouldn't do it. Oh. And then all of a sudden there's money on the table. So wow. whatever. Um, I feel bad for the people. <laughs> it's just, I feel bad for the kids and that they've been put through this. Um, the other thing I really want to say is, you know, this whole thing, believers, right? Witnesses are not believers. Yeah. Let's yeah. get that clear. There, there's this sort of like, you know, pushing this one word, believers. Well, witnesses are, are not necessarily believers. Actually, witnesses to extraordinary things become questioners. Hmm. Right. I'm just I just want people to be aware that this you this word is being used a lot and it's not. It's not okay, and it's not true. Yeah, just because yeah. you witness something doesn't mean you're a believer in whatever. It doesn't I mean it's just? I'm sorry. I'm just ha- a bit frustrated. I know you're very frustrated, and and you've been kind of put through a lot, and you've done such a beautiful job on your movie. Uh, can you give a little, uh, like a little tidbits of what we should expect when we finally get to listen to that interview? He, he ta- does oh, he talk about light, right? Yeah. He sees yeah. lights, but he doesn't see the craft himself. Right. He see he like several of the other kids, um, only saw it in the sky because they weren't down at the lower part of the field. Yeah. So you gotta understand this was a large playground. There's two there were two very large fields. One you couldn't see anything from because it was surrounded by trees. And the other one is where most of the witnesses saw things. And they all saw it from different perspectives, you know, and all saw different things in a sense, but from their own perspective, their own position on the field. And then, so to have somebody, and I don't know why or how that came up, but to, to have somebody calling others liars is just, not the case it's yeah. just you know why would any well i just don't understand why it's just like we're looking at a car accident or something right and 60 people are witness to it and then one person says oh this didn't really happen but there's the car yeah you know i guess what we're missing is the car but again we're, we're <laughs> dealing with a phenomenon that doesn't give us those things yeah well, anyway, I I uh, I really appreciate your time to make this yeah, pull over the side of the road for me and uh, and talk <laughs> about this. Uh, no, it was uh, it's important. And um, just to remind everyone out there that this uh, video, if you have an interest, if you have watched Encounters and you want to see uh, what he said in 2008, please stay tuned and look below in the text and we'll have that posted. And always a pleasure to talk to you. And we'll be uh, having our, our chats uh, together soon, Randall. Yeah, sounds good, Marty. Uh, Martin, take care.
All right, well. you too. Yep. Thanks, you everybody. Okay. Uh, excellent. So I do want to say uh, hi to everyone in the uh, chat room. Thank you so much. Uh, there's Bobby, Dirk and Steele. There's uh, Mary Grace I saw. All these people that generally show up. Thank you all for... I don't say hi to my chat people enough, and I thought it would be nice to uh, say hi tonight. I really do thank you for being here and uh, your participation. And here's our guest. Welcome to the show, Dan. Thanks for having me, Mar having me, Martin. It's been a long time. I've been watching you, and it's nice to finally be able to be on your show and talk to you and have a conversation. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was so fun meeting you in D.C. Um, the uh, It was funny. I was in line, and you were uh, introduced. I'm trying to remember the, the nice lady that introduced us. Brandy. Brandy, Brandy Vincent. Yes, Brandy. Brandy said... Uh, she was talking to me about all, all different things. She goes, do you know Dan, right? And I said, uh, Dan? <laughs> no, not right now. Anyway, uh, so I went all the way down the line, and poor Dan is way down in the line. I was lucky enough to be right up. You know, I mean, I was second to last person in, but I got in. And I will talk to you about that later. But uh, I saw you and your, your cute little daughter. You brought her along. I thought that was pretty awesome. But uh, I don't know where you want to start, Dan. I guess I want to ask you. What was your interest to start with? Uh, you, what made you start looking at this topic? Was it things you saw on the news or or what? What was it? Well, before I answer that question, I want to back up real quick and just say, sure. did you know that Brandy Vincent is the reason that we figured out who the NASA um, director of the new program is. Like, oh, she was the one who asked that question. She, she asked, asked that the question, question in the July and leaked, hearing. And it leaked out ahead of time, basically, she, right? Well, yeah. she leaked out or she asked that a similar question when they asked who the embed in the aero department from NASA was back at the May hearing or at the um, NASA teleconference. So she asked the question and then two months ish later, she asked the follow up question and the two combined let us know who the new director of the NASA UFO pretty, investigation pretty program is. Crafty, so, pretty crafty. Got a yeah. pat her on the back for that one. She, she did yeah. a good job asking those questions. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, so what what started your journey in looking at this topic and actually doing something about so it? So it, it, it goes back and I've I've had this question thrown at me several times. And the the more you talk about the UFO phenomenon, the more you have to go back in history to get the best answers available to you because nothing is um, makes sense with just the moment that you're looking at this topic. You have to always go back. And that's the same thing in all of our lives. The reason that I'm into it is because when I was a kid, I stayed awake at night. I was a borderline insomnia, ins insomniac and I wasn't, I would spend my nights up staring at the ceiling of my bedroom and just thinking about things. And so one of the things that crept into my mind was always the concept of infinity, not only the number, but the uh, relationship that our reality has to infinity. So the more I started thinking about it, the more I was thinking, well, I can't be it. This, this earth can't be it. My life can't be it. There's, there's more to this than just us, humanity. So that makes, makes you, of course, start thinking about the universe and your position in it. And that starts the wheels turning on. Well, what could there be? What what's um, I, I like to tell people, I wish that I had been born at a time when exploration of the earth was something that we were progressing along. I missed that opportunity. So now it's it, it's not available to me. But the universe is. So that's even yeah. more exciting. So I feel like this opportunity that we all currently have, everybody that's watching this podcast that's involved in the conversation right now, we're the new explorers. We're the tip of the iceberg when it comes to asking questions about where are we in the universe, not just on earth and are we alone? So that's what it triggered or what triggered me to get interested and start asking really deep questions as a real young child was the concept of infinity and how overwhelming it can be and how insignificant we are in the grand scheme of things. So we can't be the only yeah. insignificant thing out there. <laughs> That's right. And when you talk infinity, I mean, it's unfathomable and you know, like we've been here, what, 13.8 billion years. And that's just a little teeny, teeny dot compared to infinity. <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean that you can't really conceive, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole, the whole thing. 
you know, and, and I've always, you know, pondered many things like that too, I have to say, and, uh, you know, spend time thinking about, well, if the universe is finite, is there a wall and, you know, what's behind exactly. it? You know, like you, you start thinking, and what, what happened before the big bang that has, what was before the big bang? And, or you know, when I've asked uh, certain, you know, astronomers that I always, I always do ask that question. Um, you know, do you think the big bang is accurate? That's the first thing. And then uh, do you think that'll be disproven someday? And what do you think happened before the Big Bang? And, you know, basically a lot of them have said along the lines, well, you know, time didn't exist before the Big Bang. So, you know, try to figure that out. Yeah, but, I, you know, I don't, I don't even know. Yeah. I've always wondered if the universe is expanding, what is it expanding into? So right. it, it's got a, yeah. is it a vessel that we're expanding into? Is it going to reach a limit? Like you said, a wall at some point. Yeah. Well, then you get into the dark matter, dark energy. It's so prevalent. Is there multiverses? You know, you can go on and on and on and on. And, on. and uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of fun stuff to look into. But yeah, UFOs, um, it's it's quite it's been quite a ride for myself and um, exploring the mystery. And I really think that, you know, if we get anywhere with it, then, you know, it is the biggest puzzle that we could solve, I think. I mean, I, and right now, of course, you know, with everything going on in the world, we can certainly be distracted and, you know, get off that whole topic. And you know what I mean? Like we got a lot going on in this crazy world right now. So, uh, but anyway, uh, so what about your, when you get to make these, how do you decide what you're going to make a video on? Is it current events? Like we can talk a little bit about NASA. I know you did some you know, some things on NASA, but is that what, uh, is that what you kind of base things on or what, what is happening currently? So I, I like to consider myself a reporter, I guess, for a lack of better terms. Um, what I do is I try to condense the information that's available open source to everyone, but a lot of people don't have the time to really dig into it. So I do a lot of current event uh, related content where I'm, I'm just going over, here's the things that have happened in the last week, or, or here's the highlights of the Schumer rounds amend UF, UAP disclosure amendment and, and try to make it easy for people to understand what's going on, understand the significance of those events and put them in context of what has happened in the past. So I try to provide um, just basically a, brief summary of what's going on and how it relates to what has happened in the past and what this could lead to in the future. But I also do go back and cover some historical cases when I think that they are relevant to the conversation of the day. Um, one of the things I did cover was the Mussolini UFO, the um, the fascist files that the 1933 UFO that they talked about, uh, that Grush talked about during the congressional it wasn't the congressional hearing. It was the interview that he had with Ross. Uh, when he talked right. about that, I already had yeah. a video where I covered that. So I was able to kind of be ahead of the curve with here's information related to it. Something that I found fascinating from the past that I was able to cover. And then I can turn around. And if people just got the inkling of what that case was about during the Grush uh, interview, I was able to provide a little bit more of a detailed summary of the events that encompassed that encounter or that series of events that unfolded back in 1933 to 45. Now, I've, I've heard that that was not so, that that was some type of hoax. And I'm wondering what you uncovered when you were looking into that. And I, I, I'm not saying that, that that's the, what it is, a hoax, but I'm saying that that's what when I did a little soft looking into it <clears throat> and contacted someone that I can regularly rely on for real true information that really looks in deeply, he said it was um, a proven hoax. And <laughs> what did you find out when you're so, looking into it? Yeah. So everything I found out was due to the research of Robert Panetto, I want, or Panetti, I want to say is his name, the gentleman that wrote a book about the Italian contact. I think it was the name of the book. He wrote two, two volumes on it. And mm -hmm. I, I, I want to preface this conversation by saying, I assume that I could be right. I could be wrong. A hundred percent of the time. I don't say that I know this as fact, nothing mm -hmm. I, I talk about, I stick a flag in and say, this is the truth. 
what I do say is things like the, these are the highlights of what I can get my hands on as far as the legislation that, that is being passed through the, the government right now. That's something that I can say, yep, 100 percent, this is going on right now and this is important for you to pay attention to. But mm-hmm. when I go back and I talk about individual cases and things like that, I'm not claiming any of them are true. I'm just trying to report what I found when I did my research. I didn't find anything that um, said that it was a hoax or I didn't find what your gentleman, uh, that the gentleman you spoke to said as far as it's a proven hoax. When I looked into it, I didn't find that. What I reported on was what Robert uh, Panetto had done research on and kind of covered all the documentation associated with that. And then for mm-hmm. it to turn around and be brought up during the interview with David Grush was kind of a fun time to to have made a video like that. But if it's if it's a hoax, hey, I'm happy to make a video saying this is a proven hoax. But I haven't seen that. I don't know. Well, also, that same person speculated, well, this is kind of showing that he's been fed a couple of things. So I don't know. You know, I mean, I I would like to know now, you know, just now that we're having this conversation. So I don't know if there's Anyone in earshot that would like to email me, Martin at podcastufo.com that's done any research into it, I'd like to know. And I, of course, I'd pass it along to you. Uh, you know, it's always whatever it is, it's always good to get to the truth. No well, I'll, I'll, I'll take it one step further and I'll say, does anyone know of any UFO related case that isn't that is unanimously um, agreed to be legit? and not considered potentially to be a hoax or misidentification, there's zero as far as I'm concerned. There's zero. So we're all, until there's something that we can put our hands on, we're all making an assumption. Yeah, yeah. I know until, you know, that's that's always been the problem all the way along is, you know, we don't have the nuts and bolts of, uh, you know, a craft, you know, that we can show everybody. And But I'm not saying that, those don't exist because they very well, it's very possible. You know, I, I, we, I'm involved in this thing called UAP crossfire. It's going to be out. And I put it out on my mailing list. So a little housekeeping here. I just found out today that it may not go out until sometime in November in my, in my newsletter. Whoops. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened in my newsletter. I uh, said that it was going to be this Thursday evening and uh, just found out today later today that it may not come out until November. But anyway, during the discussion, it comes up uh, with all these uh, three other panelists, you know, basically that most likely that some of what the triangles that people are seeing out there are possibly reverse engineered, you know, crashed UAP possibly, you know, possibly, possibly, possibly. But anyway, um, so, uh, you know, the thing of it is, is, if that's the case, then um, these are, you know, crashed reverse engineered things that people are seeing. Of course, they wouldn't mind them being called a UFO. You know, yes. uh, they don't want anyone to, to know. But I mean, I, I just I just find it really almost impossible that the technology could be out there and being used. And then for it uh, not to be leaked in any type of way or you know, these things are housed where they housed and some of them are magnificently large. Uh, where, where could they possibly, you know, uh, put those things? I don't know. Well, all- the, the UFO topic is full of contradictions and I feel like the crash retrieval aspect of the crash retrieval and reverse engineering aspect of it is one of those contradictions yeah. because we focus on bits and pieces of UFOs that are, are, that are claimed to have come from UFOs, the arts parts and things like that, that are supposed to be getting analyzed by the army. So why are we focused on these teeny tiny offshoots of craft when we have whole craft? So it seems contradictory to be focusing on both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Or I I think a lot of it's denial because, you know, I mean, if, uh, you know, you think of like the stealth, how that was kept secret for such a long time, if we actually have these technologies, uh, you know, maybe they're being kept secret. And I don't know. I don't know if I should go even down these rabbit holes because it's all speculation. You know, it really is. Um, and so what did you think about the hearing overall? How did you think that went? And I want to also ask you, uh, because I was lucky enough to be the second to last in the door. You were way behind me, not way behind, but maybe 50, 75 people, 100 people behind, something like that. 
where did you where did you watch it from and how what was that like I watched it from the Nash, the Smithsonian National History Museum because when I had my daughter with me, she didn't want to just sit in a room. So I took her for a tour of the Natural History Museum while I had my earbuds in and half paying attention to what she was doing and half paying attention to the uh, test, the testimony that was being delivered at the time. Oh, but, wow. yeah. but what's frustrating is I was the third person in line at the front door of the Rayburn building when I showed up in the morning. But you guys had found the... Um, the back door to sneak into uh, that. That's why I got so far back in line. Like I, oh, I showed up and, and, and I had hope. I was like, all right, we're going to be up front and nope. Uh, so that was a, a little bit of a, a game changer for me as far as what my anticipation was for the day. But yeah, I that's actually cool. watched the first one at the natural history museum uh, in Washington, DC as, as just like any father should, I was trying to make sure that my daughter was having a good time and uh, on her trip to Washington because she was putting up with standing around talking to a bunch of UFO guys yeah, um, and letting me have fun do my thing. So we turned around and made sure we got ice cream and oh, yeah. toured some museums and ate some good food afterwards. Well, that was I thought what you just said there just a second ago, talking to people online, I thought that was great. I love talking to all these people online. It was so interesting because people were there from all walks of life from all over the country. And, uh, and then did, did you see the line behind you? I mean, Oh yeah. I've, I've heard there was a, a, a thousand people showed up and I believe it. It seemed like that was a possible number. Well, I, I'm sure you saw the same thing I did where the looks on the faces of the people in line isn't what, impress me it was the look on the faces of the people that were working security yeah. they were just the staffers and they there. never they saw were, anything like it nothing yeah. like that they had shock and awe on their face yeah. whenever they would come around that corner and look down the hallway and there's 500 people in a line waiting on on their opportunity to go in there so that was telling to me that was a, a litmus test that we passed as far as the UFO community coming forward and saying, Hey, we're interested in this. We think it should be taken seriously and we're willing to mobilize to, to yeah. prove our point. Can you believe they only had 30 seats? I yeah. mean, that's kind of silly. They should have, you know, expected, um, you know, at least a few hundred. I would think they would normally would expect that with a, something this historic coming up. So yeah, that was disappointing. Now the only reason Randall Nicholson was just on here, he was the very first one in line, of course, and I started talking to him. Um, you know, I guess I had the in and was able to get in the right line because I was talking to him starting. He got there at 9 p.m. the night before. Oh, wow. And he stayed over the whole entire night. But the funny thing is, this is really funny. I think it's really funny. Is uh, I talked to him afterwards. I said, so what do you think? And he goes, well, I fell asleep. <laughs> He's in the front row. He falls asleep and the people beside him keep nudging him. And he said the stenographer, whatever a person kept giving him a dirty look because he was snoring. <laughs> so, so of course he was up all night and he, he said, I'm not going to miss this for anything. And then he, he falls asleep. He fell asleep a few times, but uh, yeah, that I thought it was, uh, I was, I really was felt really now I feel even more lucky that I got into the room because I started out on the wrong area too, you know, but I got there early enough. I was there at five, five forty AM. So luckily, yeah, but I think, oh, I think I showed up at about seven o'clock, uh, to try to get started. Uh, that was the quickest I could get a, a 13 year old dressed in out of the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. But, but overall, I think it was, uh, I mean, you made the trip from Tennessee and that was, uh, that was definitely, I think it was, how do you feel about going now? I mean, I, I, even if I didn't get in, I thought, I mean, that was interesting enough getting, getting to talk to Bert Chad and all kinds of other people. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm always impressed by when I go into a public setting where there's a bunch of UFO people is how well-versed the population at large is. Like it is shocking to me how much detail just everybody knows about this subject. So oh, it's, yeah. it kind yeah. of humbles you because you're, I, I, I make these videos. I, I go through, through the details of each of the pieces of information that comes out. There's so many people out there that are uh, in the, the vast majority that are silent, that know just as much, if not more than, than I know, than, you know, that are just not 
at the forefront of this, um, not vocalizing what their what their knowledge is on the top on the topic. And that's one thing I always am going to encourage people is if you do have that knowledge and you are willing to share it, please do, because there are people that are going to going to relate to you who you are. Yeah. There's people that are going to relate to me as a father, as an engineer, as a 44 year old man that are going that might not relate to you, but you might relate to a whole different demographic of people that would want to learn from you. So if you do have that knowledge and you're willing to get in front of a camera or contribute to the conversation in some way, I'm always going to encourage people to, because there's a lot of uh, really smart people in this community. It's shocking. I was, you know, when I very first started back in 2011, when I decided that I was going to start this show, I was totally shocked at the intelligent people that are into this. It was like, it was not what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting. Maybe I was expecting that there would be a lot of the tinfoil hatters and, yes. you know, maybe just, you know, uh, saying, you know, very fringy stuff. And then I was like totally blown away when I started talking to people and wow, you know, the, the, you're right. There's a lot of people that really have done some very deep research. I mean, you think of these old time researchers, you know, someone just mentioned Dave Marler in the chat room a few minutes ago. Um, and all these people, Barry Greenwood and all these other people that he's, he's connected to that have been at it, you know, for 50, 50 years and deep research into all these documents and uncovering things and stuff like that. It's really, uh, it's really quite amazing. So Bobby, uh, I met Bobby, uh, years ago, but we also met up just recently in uh, North Carolina. Uh, have you ever seen a UFO? Bobby wants to know. I've seen unusual lights in the sky, but I'm not going to say I've seen the UFO. I would think that everything I've seen has a prosaic explanation. The most interesting thing that I think I've seen is I have a night vision monocular and mm -hmm. I go out in my backyard and listen to UFO podcasts and I stare at the sky and look for things that are moving. And you do see things like that is one of the, the best hot purchases I've made because it is just amazing how many more stars are in our night sky that you can't see with your human eye. That's right. So I, yeah. I have this night vision uh, monocular that I kind of search the sky with at night. And one time I had a tripod out there with me and I noticed a flash in one of the corners of the sky. It flashed about five seconds later. It flashed about five seconds later. So I set it up. I set my monocular up on the tripod and filmed that portion of the sky. And for every five seconds for 23 minutes straight, that light flashed at about just, just under five seconds, uh, every, just under every, just under five seconds, um, is the frequency was blinking at. And I then took it onto my computer and basically fast forward it. The light didn't move. It was basically locked in the sky for 23 minutes straight. You could see the star field rolling by it behind it, but the object itself stayed stationary. And there was a brighter light and there was a dimmer light that you could see that were blinking alternatively. But I'd say that's the most unusual thing. But I, of course, am going to default to it's got a prosaic explanation. But I live in a pretty rural part of Tennessee and where I was looking is even more rural. So I can't imagine something of, of the military significance being in that direction. Um, so I don't know what it was, but I can't sit here and say it was a UFO and in my definition of a UFO. Now I've heard of stationary satellites and I don't even know if that is, you know, such a thing, but I mean, they, they wouldn't be having lights flashing on them as far as I know. And it would be up so high that you would, you wouldn't be able to, you know, you wouldn't be able to see it like that. I mean, you can see a satellite when there's a reflection from the sun, you know, uh, I know it's kind of hard to understand for someone that's not familiar with it, but if you're outside at night and you all of a sudden you see like this flash going across the sky, then it blinks out. A lot of time that's just a satellite and it's catching the, you know, we're, 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 we're blocking the sunlight because it's nighttime, but it'll, it'll be up high enough where it catches the, the sunlight until it starts to go around the orbit. And then it, it gets into the, the dark field again and looks like it blinks out. But, uh, but a stationary, I have heard of stationary satellites, but you wouldn't see it, you know, with the naked eye. You just yeah. wouldn't see it, you know. Well, well, I'll, I'll just make a plug for Mother Nature as I discuss this, because as I'm out there looking for UFOs, I'm also seeing amazing things happening in our night sky, like 
uh, meteors streaking through the sky. Oh, yeah. um, there's things that are called iridium flares that we have circulating around or orbiting around the earth and they put off, put off a flash every now and then. So there's all kinds of interesting stuff that are in, that's in our night sky that you can see and learn about just by being outside at night on a clear night sky. And it's just entertaining to see it because I've seen the biggest shooting star of my life out there um, in the last three years, I'd say. So, so you'll, you'll enjoy it and bring some earbuds to entertain yourself. But yeah, it's a, entertaining way to spend a, a warm night. Yeah. Now I've talked about this before on some past shows, but I'd like to, I'd like to bring it up again because I love to watch the night sky and I had a UFO sighting just quickly. It was a, like a blue glowing disc. I saw it go over my head in Monterey. I mean, toward Monterey. I was in Carmel Valley, California. It wasn't, it was, it wasn't like, and oh my God, but it was to me, it was what the hell is that? And like, uh, this can't be from here. You know, that was my whole feeling because it wasn't making any noise. And how did it move and how did it stop and how did it start again in a perfect angle and very slow? Uh, and it was a disc. So that I just wanted to get that out of the way. But the most fantastic thing I ever saw, I was in a hot tub. Both of these were in a hot tub. <laughs> and, uh, but I was in a hot tub, uh, with my ex wife and, uh, something caught my eye and this thing, this is in around 1985. We weren't married at the time around 1985. Something catches my eye and I see this thing looked about the size of a basketball that, which is pretty darn big, like going over my head and it was perfectly circular that I remember. And I saw orange cracks and it was turning and sparks were coming out of the cracks and and I didn't hear any sound either. And I, I've talked to people about it. And there was supposed to be a fireball, like a, a really big, you know, meteor that that uh, went over back in 1985. And uh, actually, Jordan Bonaparte's grandparents uh, saw it up in Canada. Now this was in uh, New Hampshire, but that was the most amazing thing. And I'm 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 yelling at my uh, girlfriend at the time. My anyway. Like, look, look. And the third time I looked, she finally turned and saw it just as it was going down, you know, in the, uh, down below the tree line. But that I love seeing things in the night sky. But that was that was a phenomenon that I'll never forget, you know. And I'd like to know how accurate I'm saying it, because I was like 1985 and I'm telling you everything I remember. But memories all like something we reconstruct every time we tell something. So I really wish I could see that again and see exactly what it was. I mean, just amazing. Yeah. It, it's definitely something that you will remember. And that's one of the things that I like about it is I, I mean, I saw this fraction of a second green streak fly through the sky and I'm never going to forget it because it was so impressive and so quick and so sudden, but yeah, it's fun to sit in your backyard, stare at the sky. Right. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get into a couple of different things. What do you think about um, the about the job that Sean Kirkpatrick is doing? You know, with AARO, have you? Uh, do you have any thoughts about about that? Um, I'm going to try I, to talk about some kind of current things because I know you're looking into a lot of that. You know, so I, I think that he came into it with the intention of I'm one of the repeating themes that we're picking up on is that anyone that is looking into this on a official capacity is saying, I don't want anything to do with the old information. All I want is new data, fresh data, highly calibrated data that's correlated with multiple sensors. So they're not looking at the UFO phenomenon like we do. And for someone like Sean Kirkpatrick, I can't necessarily blame him because no scientist, no one is going to rely on someone else's data and information to make their um, determination on what's going on. So he is basically wanting to start from scratch, just like I think NASA is wanting to start from scratch. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But he has been, in my opinion, negligent on some of his duties um, for instance, the Twitter post or the Twitter account that he made where he, I'm going to say he, because he's at the head of it in my eyes, 
that he was going to update people regularly on that Twitter account. It only had that one post that was written more than a year ago. Right. I, th- I think that is a lot of the frustration that the UFO community has with things like this, where we're given the promise of communication, the promise of transparency. And then after the reality sets in, we get nothing, we get crickets and, and then they get up, they get confused when we're upset with them about that. I think that, I, I work on a, uh, I work in a location where I have to manage buildings. And if you have to go into that building and do something that affects their air conditioning and you just show up and you do it, they're mad at you. They do not like you that day. But if you a week ahead say, Hey, unfortunately we have to shut your air conditioner off for a, a day or so they're much more accepting of it. So even if he isn't, if he would increase the frequency of the communication or if arrow in general would increase the frequency that they communicate with us, I think that would give them a lot more grace than they've been given because they just aren't communicating with us at the level that we think we should. And I think more than one tweet every year and a half is not too much to ask. So that being the case, I think that's one area that he's failing in. But his reaction to David Grush, uh, David Grush's interviews, testimony where he put the letter out through unofficial forms, then it that kind of made me go, uh, I'm questioning you a little bit more than I would have if 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 you're not willing to say it through the official channels. If you're just going to pop off, pop pop off at the lip, it it makes me lose a little bit of credibility. Or makes you lose a little credibility in my eye. Yeah, I, I keep hearing he's going to get fired within a year, and I can see that. I, I yeah. think that that could be a definite possibility. I hope it's not because he's gone through this learning curve. He's seen the passion that this community has for this topic. So hopefully he's going to react accordingly to that and adjust course. But I don't know if I have faith left in him for, for that to be what's going to actually happen. I saw uh, or someone told me today that they saw a tweet by him that today that he believes David Grush (laughs) question. I said that can't, and of course the tweet was taken down. So someone put something out there, you know, trying to be him or something. I I was, I'm sure that's what it was. All right. So I'll tell you this. um, Oh, do you know something? I don't. uh, It's just goofy. It's just another goofy thing I've done. (laughs) The, the Twitter account is DOD underscore arrow. And they have the claims to that. It's a verified account. I went, uh, it's, do you know what threads is? It's the Instagram version of Twitter. No, no, I'm not, I'm not savvy. The savvy. I don't Okay. So uh, yeah. it's, so Instagram basically made a social media platform called threads and it's the same thing as Twitter, basically the same interface, but I went and created a username called DOD underscore arrow and basically said, I've got your username here. If you ever want it back, I need you to have an interview with me, Dr. Kirkpatrick. So oh, wow. I've got yeah. claims to that on um, threads right now. Yeah. Hold them hostage. That's good. Yeah. I do anything to get an interview sometimes myself. <laughs> so, no, that's pretty funny. Uh, so what about NASA? I, saw, I watched your video on NASA and uh, what, is, what are your, I'm just asking you, you know, since you looked into it, you've done these videos on it. Um, do you feel like it's going in the right direction? Do you think we're going the wrong direction or NASA I'm talking about? Um, I thought we were going in the right direction. My expectations for the 16 member, um, I've forgotten what they call it. The I'm going to call it a task force that they put together was strictly to kind of do a scope analysis um, of what they needed to do to be able to investigate this topic fully and and in a manner that is appropriate for an organization like NASA. So I thought they were basically going to say, here's the sensors we need. Here's the time that it's going to take for us to figure something out. And here's the cost to do all of this. Um, And I was also assuming that they were going to talk a lot about data analysis uh, programs and things like AI machine learning things that could help them out with it. So I thought this was just going to be like a tip of the iceberg kind of a conversation. They actually did a little bit more analysis of past cases than I thought they would do, but all of the cases they uh, reviewed are straight out of Arrow's inventory. So it seemed 
there was a lot of contradictions that the, um, it says Martin video froze great or audio is great. Okay. So it's just Martin's audio or video that's yeah. frozen. Is there, can everybody still hear me? No, okay. everything's fine. Everything's fine. I've just talked to people, but my, uh, this, my screen is frozen in front of me, but everything, everyone's saying everything's working. So okay. yeah. I'll just anyway. rant on that. Yeah. We'll just keep going. Yep. Okay, so as far as NASA's independent study group goes, I thought they accomplished the task of trying to figure out how they wanted to start this. But when they started doing contradictory things uh, where they kind of would say, hey, we want to be transparent with you, but we're not going to name the director of the program that we're going to initiate to start this process. I thought that was hypocritical of them. And then I made a video where I basically listed seven other areas where they said one thing, but their actions didn't match up with it. So it was very frustrating for me to see that, including uh, the discussion where they said they want to reduce the stigma associated with investigating this topic. But then unfortunately, Bill Nelson turned around and added stigma to the topic by saying, hey, there's this whistleblower that knows a guy that says there's a UFO in a warehouse somewhere and kind of boiled it down to something that could be poked fun of. And I thought that was um, disingenuous of him to do it. Uh, in that manner, he should be more informed about what's going on with this topic than to make those kind of assumptions and boil it down the way that he did. Uh, the big question I have for NASA is the way that they parse their words when they come, when he made the statement that we haven't seen any proof of extra extraterrestrials. Well, one of the big questions I have is they've also stated that they are not going to be reviewing any classified information. So how, who decides what's classified and what's unclassified before it gets to their UAP investigation office? If someone is uh, like the Navy, for instance, has decided that any UAP related video is automatically considered classified information. So if there's a mechanism within NASA that might have some influence from the DOD and they filter out and classify any UAP related data from NASA, it's not going to get to the UAP investigation group. So they'll never see anything that is proof or evidence of extraterrestrial origin or non-human intelligence origin, because someone is in front of them getting rid of all the data that would provide them with the insight needed to make that kind of a statement. So that's one of the things that I think is contradictory. If they're going to say they're only going to use unclassified information, I would like to know what process is in place to decide what video analysis, what videos, what information, what data is considered classified or unclassified before it gets to this group. Because otherwise, I mean, I, I, you could send me all the unclassified data uh, that you want if it doesn't have anything of value in it because you already purged it. I'm not going to be able to make an assessment of the current situation. That might be the same thing that's going on there. The DOD might have gotten involved and said, hey, let's pump the brakes on this. We're going we're gonna to keep all the, all the good stuff away from you. So you can honestly look in the camera and say, we've seen no evidence of extraterrestrial origin craft in the, in the space. So yeah. that's one of my frustrations with them. Oh, I, I totally agree with all of that. And, uh, you know, it's under the blanket of, you know, national security. We may never know anything. You know, I mean, that's and I understand that being used in the right way when we shouldn't know certain things. But when it comes to the transparency on the UAP um, and that's kind of like there's some parts of that, too, that I agree should be classified. You know, anything that they may know that. Um, say another country may not know that would somehow give an advantage to someone. Um, I believe that should stay classified. Um, but, you know, this the simple thing, the simple question, are we alone or not? <laughs> you know, I mean, that would be nice to know, uh, you know, but uh, as uh, when I was up in um, Shag Harbor last week, uh, a, you know, a weekend uh, on about October 1st, was that coming up in 10 days or so ago, that was uh, something that, you know, in a conversation with Nick Pope, you know, I mean, it was like, we're both saying, you know, if the government knows, if they actually know, 
what some of these things are and can't protect us, then or they can't say they or they don't know. You know, they're not going to say that either. We don't really know. We can't really protect you. You know, we can't protect you from what's flying around in the skies. That's what they don't want to get out there. And if they knew all along, then they have some explaining to do. And that's not going to look pretty either. So yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation to be in. Now, we got just a couple minutes left. Uh, one minute to wrap, actually. I don't know if you want to continue on a little while. Or uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned that I might have uh, technical issues. Um, because I have had some issues. I'm up here in Maine right now, and I've had some internet issues. But um, anyway, uh, we actually got 30 seconds, so we got to decide. Uh, I, I guess uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll continue on. So we're going to say goodbye to everyone over at KGRA Radio, and we'll be na- uh, back next week. We have uh, Matthew Roberts. He was on the uh, Roosevelt when the uh, gimbal uh, occurred that filming, and uh, he's a good he's a good friend. And he'll be on uh, next week. So uh, we'll see you over at KGRA Radio. And we'll see you next week. So let's continue on just a little bit here, if we can. Um, what is? Uh, what do you think? You know, I mentioned earlier when we were talking, I was talking to Randall Nickerson. And that, that is just my own opinion, that I think the Ariel phenomenon happened back in 1994. I consider that the number one case because it's just the witnesses, the whole situation. Um and then I'm wondering how you, you know, what do you, what do you feel like is like a really important case? What's your personal? Well, I mean, favorite? it's odd you ask me that question right after mentioning that you were in Shack Harbor last week because that is my favorite uh, USO UFO case because oh, of the fact yeah. that it is both yeah. airborne and it, within the water and it lasted days, uh, if not a week. So to me that shag harbor is one of the more important ones and i also think that the uso the under unidentified submerged object aspect of the phenomena is often overlooked and underappreciated and is the most interesting part of it so um, the uso topic in general is kind of one of my favorite aspects of it and one thing that i I did make a video about the uh, congressional hearing with david grush where they mentioned uh, water related sightings probably 10 times. And I don't think they mentioned anything above land. They mentioned things coming out of the water over the land, but that was the only time. I don't think there was any other sighting that they mentioned that didn't have water associated with it. So that's one of the things that I think we can look forward to in the future is learning more about this phenomenon as we look out over the oceans and hopefully into the oceans at one point which is something that I'm hoping that Rear uh, Rear Admiral Tim Gallaudet, who was at the yeah. hearing, sitting, probably sitting close to you. Um, you know, I never saw him, and I, I know him. We, he was on my show, and um, and we actually communicated the day before. Okay, see you there. <laughs> never saw him. But so, he was there. I saw him. I'm, I'm a witness wow. to that. I can say okay. that's a fact. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he was there. Um, Richard Dolan is actually even – been on the USO bandwagon here lately. And he's introduced me to a book that I hadn't uh, read yet by Carl Feint. I want to, I want to say, I think it's UFOs and water, but I really got sucked into it with the movie abyss. I got uh, even further into it by look, reading the Ivan T Sanderson book, um, invisible residents from like 1974. And he even calls them UAPs at the time when he huh? wrote the book back then. 1974? So, yes. And and like if, when you read the first chapter of that book, it sounds like it could be written today. It is. It blew me away the first time I read it. And that's the book I always hand to other people when they are starting to get interested in this topic. I, I throw that book in their lap and I say, here's a copy of it for you to keep enjoy it, read the first chapter and the last chapter, and then read the rest of it. Because those are the two uh, chapters in that book that are the most enthralling, in my opinion. Preston Dennett is another one. Good, uh, good. Thank you for pointing that out for sure. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of USO stuff out there that I think is really important. And Shag Harbor is the one that I, I cut my teeth on that has been, of course, covered at depth uh, by multiple different uh, avenues. So I, that's one yeah. that I think is really important. But the, the aerial uh, phenomenon case, in my opinion, that's one of the most relatable cases because that's children of all different races, all different ages uh, that are just so relatable to so much of the population 
and there's so much innocence in their voices. They, they just seem to be so authentic, not be something that they couldn't have coordinated. They weren't good actors and actresses at that age, I'm sure. So it seems so genuine, so authentic. Yeah. It is just one that I think everybody can relate to. Yeah. Yeah. You watch the, the testimony when uh, Dr. Mack is interviewing them and he did such a great job, gets down at their level and talks to them, how they can understand and talks about their feelings and, and things like that. And, and uh, does not lead them in any type of way. And there's some article out there saying, you know, like, saying, oh, yeah, he went there and he led them all down this road. And, you know, and it's like bashing his work. And it's like, God, he's, you know, Harvard trained uh, psychologist. He knew exactly what he was doing and uh, did a beautiful job with those kids and and uh, treated them. You know, they when they talked about it later, they felt comfortable with him, you know, because he made them feel comfortable. Not like other reporters that just went in there and wanted, wanted uh, you know, just tell me what you saw, that type of thing. You know, he yeah. he, he took his time. And uh, anyway, yeah, Shag Harbor is really interesting. And Chris Stiles uh, really did an, an amazing job unraveling two. Uh, he has a book out where he unraveled. There was the Shelburne incident, which was a minesweep situation back in 1960. And everybody confuses it because similar things happened. But those are actually two separate events. That's when divers were down there and they saw a craft under the water, two crafts. And it looked like there were beings that were repairing another craft. And uh, it's such a wild story. And it was there were there were witnesses on these divers and they talked about it. And they just said there were aliens. We saw aliens. They didn't say why they called them aliens. And I tried to get that information out of Chris when I was up in Shag Harbor and he said basically that uh, I asked, first of all, did they have any like breathing apparatus that they saw when these things were swimming around? And he said nothing was mentioned about it. And then I said, well, did they describe him? It was, you know, one particular guy he made when Chris went to interview him. This guy was so scared that he said, I want to see you take the batteries out of your recorder and drop them on the floor. You know, like he just didn't want to be recorded. No notes, no anything. So Chris had to memorize, you know, everything this guy said. And he said they, he described them as they looked like grays. Now, this is back in 1960, Shelburne Harbor, which is about 35 miles away from Shag Harbor. And the two are always talked about as if they happened at the same time. Two separate things. Fascinating. Another fascinating case to read about for you. And everybody, yeah, I'll look into it. Um, something that you mentioned was the, um, well, it's the, the relatability of the stories that were on the encounters thing, uh, the encounters Netflix show. My wife actually was able to sit down and watch that show with me. She doesn't watch UFO documentaries like I do. She doesn't listen to UFO podcasts, but it was well produced enough for her to be willing to sit down and watch it along with me and find it interesting. And one of the things that you just pointed out was the reluctance of the witness to actually go to speak out loud what he encountered, what he experienced and be on the record. And that was one thing that my wife picked up on as they were talking to these uh, individuals is how reluctant they were to actually speak and how fearful they were to relay the story of their experience that they had. Of course, back in the seventies, I think for the um, English, English, the Wells case, the nineties for the Rua Zimbabwe case. So, but that kind of rang true and made it to my wife who doesn't have an interest in this topic, but she realized that, Hey, why are these people so terrified to just talk about what they experienced, what they saw themselves? So I, I think that's something that is also very relatable to the general public aspect of what's going on right now is these people aren't like, freely admitting this information a lot of this information about these experiences being more or less coaxed out of people reluctantly they don't want to be in the attention of the public for something like this so it, that's one of the things i hope for in the future is if the government does acknowledge this as an actual phenomenon then more people will feel um, at will to to speak about their experiences and we'll learn so much more the learning curve will just ramp up once more people start having these conversations openly and sharing what they know 
that's a that's something that I'm hopeful for in the future is that the reduction of the stigma will lead to our education ramping up quickly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to now, I got to be honest with you. This is how maybe old fashioned I am. I don't know if I've ever, I think maybe I've seen a TikTok video because someone sent me one, maybe or whatever, but I don't know how any of that stuff works. I don't even, I'm not even on Instagram or anything. I, here I am on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. That's enough. Um, <laughs> uh, so do you find that the short videos, does that, is that what people want today? You know, because a lot of times I'll look at my analytics, you know, for, and I'll see a lot of people will watch bits and pieces of my, you know, YouTube, but they go away. Is it just too much, too long? These Are we talking too long tonight? <laughs> well, I, I've always told people like the UFO topic is the king of the long form content. Like we can just talk and talk and talk and we could yeah. have this same meeting tomorrow and it'll go off in a different tangent, a different direction. Yeah. yeah. Um, just like music, you could do the same thing. You could have a jam session. You could last, that could last for two hours. Yeah. But how long are music videos right now? They're about three minutes long and they're about three minutes for a reason, because that's about the attention span that people have. So that's one of the reasons that I make my videos in a shorter format is because I can only um, keep their attention for so long. But in that three minutes, I'm going to make sure that it is full of information, full of references to other documents, to other resources, Mm -hmm. so that if I do pique their interest in one of the things that I say in that short amount of time, they'll have information that they can use to go dig deeper and look into it in a different location. And I can reference, hey, go check this podcast out if you want to know more about Shack Harbor, uh, things along those lines. So I think that the shorter content, the shorter version content is more, um, it's easier to consume. It's easier to distribute. One of the perks that I also have is I can post my videos that I, I don't even make. I used to make them exclusively on TikTok, but then I started using a different app that was better at editing. So now I just make them on my phone and I can distribute them on TikTok, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and people don't have to click a link to go watch it on the different platform. So they just, it's native to the social media platform they're currently scrolling through. So as soon as they go through, they're scrolling through uh, Twitter, my face pops up, my, I start talking and I have a chance to actually engage with them in a way that people that make exclusive YouTube, uh, YouTube content aren't going to be able to, because they're going to have to say, go click on this link and go to another platform to watch this video. So I think that's something that I have. I also have the ability for people to retweet my videos. That also helps me network a little bit better, including people like Eric Weinstein, who has retweeted one of the videos I made about the Air Force manual from 1969 that had a chapter in the Physics 300 book about UFOs. So it was um, it was one of the most thrilling Twitter experiences I've had when he uh, retweeted something, a video that I made because it just went crazy. I just went from like a thousand followers to 5,000 followers in just like two days. Yeah. So it was a pretty wild ride. Um, and there's always the potential that someone like Joe Rogan could retweet something that I make or Tom DeLong or who knows. And then that immediately puts it in front of millions of people that I don't have the ability to reach. So it's, it's like uh, social media is a force multiplier that I'm trying to take advantage of um, by making these shorter content videos. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's like, uh, I think Lou Wells, I don't know how many followers he has on Twitter, but a lot, but he only follows a handful of people. And somehow I became one of them. But I'm, I have on that, people, I'm on that short list too, I think. Are you really? That's great. Mm-hmm. But he's, uh, that's right. You know him or you've talked to him, right? I've been um, on an interview with him. I've, yeah, I've yeah. interacted yeah, with so, him before. But anyway, uh, I, I don't know if you have this happen, but people contact me. Hey, can you put in a good word for me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of silly. But anyway, uh, I'm going to put all your information down below in the in the text down below for everybody and also in the show notes so everybody can see what you're doing. And uh, I highly recommend you're, you're very it's very informational, especially when there's something new that happens. 
and uh, you you do a nice job with it. So thank you. And very I much. and I do occasionally make long form content, like the if you go to my uh, Twitter account, I have a twelve uh-huh. minute video of UFO history over the last since nineteen forty seven. So it's just bang 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 bang, get the information out in a twelve minute period. I've yeah. recreated with the help of my daughters. I've recreated the Wilson Davis uh, documents, the Wilson Davis notes in my car, sweating up a storm as I had as I was reading through the script of it. Um, I've broken down the Chains of the Sea book, the the one that Lou Elizondo recommended reading as well. I have a 25 minute video of the U.S. Air Force um chapter on ufos that was very interesting to see to say the least so there is some longer form content out there but primarily it's those short quick hits of data and information that i'm trying to get out yeah yeah thank you waiting awaiting aliens yeah awaiting aliens i love some of these names now thank you so much it's been a real pleasure i really enjoyed our our talk tonight all right well thank you very much for having me man i've been watching your podcast and listening to it for years so it's nice to actually be able to say that i've been on it so it's a that, it's an that's honor. right it was really nice meeting you in person and uh that's the first thing you said and that was great so thank you so much and uh hopefully we'll be talking soon all right man thank you for your time thank all you right. guys for watching all right okay everyone so i'll be back next week uh again i have uh, matthew roberts and uh, always a, a great a great soul, a great guest. And I think that's all I'm going to say for now. And we'll see you next week. And remember to keep your eyes to the sky. <laughs>